Welcome to the SBS Volta Espana podcast with Zwift. Last year in the Volta, we saw Zwift Academy winner Jay Vine come desperately close to a stage win. And this year, another Zwift Academy winner, Neve Bradbury, performed brilliantly at the Giro Donna, finishing 10th overall. Well, it's all about to kick off again. Registrations are open and the Zwift Academy starts on the 12th of September. Importantly, it's not just about elite riders chasing a pro contract. Anyone can take part. The Zwift Academy features six structured workouts over four weeks. And after you've graduated, Zwift will share workout and training recommendations based on your results. It's a great way to find your strengths and go further. So if you want to dive in and start riding with a free seven-day trial, head to Zwift.com. Now here's Christoph and Macca with the SBS Volta Espana podcast with Zwift. Bonjour, 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 bonnes dias, welcome to the Zwift SBS Cycling Podcast. I am in the streets of Bilbao and it looks like I've pointed myself to somewhere that I thought was quiet and then all of a sudden 11am everything starts, this is Spain but this is also why we love the country and the animation here. Joining me is today Dave McKenzie, how are you Dave? Oh, good night mate, I'm getting very jealous, Bilbao, what a beautiful city you are in and of course it's the stage finish of today's yeah. stage uh mate what do you expect in spain of course they're going to throw <laughs> a curly one at you just as you go live i mean you know you know this with me we were here all quiet the cafe started to pump up the music the kids park just started the finish line is just here but anyway if you can cope with the, the bit of the noise uh, coming through i'm sure i'm sure this is going to be a, a great podcast uh, with you today and we've got kate bates joining us as well how are you kate I am good, thank you, Christoph. And uh, look, I had a little bit of FOMO when we last met on the rest day ride, and you were in the beautiful sunshine, and Kino and I were in our very frigid garages uh, on the bike. But, you know, it looks like it's a little bit chaotic over there, so Macca and I can just enjoy the calm of our, of our home. Yes. I'm trying, exactly. Macca, I'm trying. So I, like your definition. I like your definition of a little bit. You know, that's, yeah. uh, that's yeah. where we can yeah. actually debate what's a little bit. <laughs> anyway, we had a great stage yesterday and a great winner. And you know, are we surprised Maka Roglic has done it? Uh, not really, I suppose. I mean, there was, there was always a little bit of a question mark how he was going to pull up, you know, after withdrawing from his, from his injuries from the Tour de France. But gee, he looks like he's back to his very best, doesn't he? And you can see here, Kuss, Sepp Kuss congratulating him and him thanking Sepp Kuss. And he was absolutely dynamite in that finale. And for you viewers at home, if you haven't watched it, even just watch the last kilometre, the last kilometre uphill, he basically was doing whatever he wanted to do, Kate. And he was if he was in position, out of position, it didn't matter. He won by four lengths in the end. Yeah, I mean, Rod, Roglic was Rogliching, if we can use that. Uh, new term, but I guess I am a little bit surprised and it raises for me the question, why is he so good in Spain and a bit average everywhere else? I mean, he's got the legs, but he never seems to just pull it together. Maybe it's a confidence thing. I don't know, but I really thought he can't do it again. I I did. I thought it just can't be like, it, it doesn't add up to me and it has to be a bit of the mental element that he's just so comfortable 
in Spain that nothing really bothers him. He sits in the right place in a bunch because he doesn't he doesn't sit in the right place anywhere else, Macca. He's in the worst position every other time. He finds something to hit when there's nothing to hit. How is well, he aligning it up now? Yeah, I mean, he did look. He did finish second in the Tour de France a couple of years ago. So I won't. I don't know if yes. I'd go that far, but he's <laughs> he has had some bad luck in the last two years, hasn't he? The last two Tour de France's, he has had some bad luck. But the stage win is good. But I'm I'm calling the Jets because it's a long three weeks, and I'm still not convinced he will go the three week distance here. Yeah, that's interesting. And you know what I really picked up um, on the GC afterwards is Yumbo only have two up there now, whereas Ineos have five. So it's like Yumbo have really decided who their two riders are going to be and Ineos have a lot a lot more options. That leaves them really vulnerable, I think. For Roglic and, and Kuss, they're in a great position, but, you know, they're going to be under a lot of attack. So I think it's clear that Yumbo are there just for those two riders. So at least they've made their plans clear, but that comes with quite a lot of responsibility. But Maka, when, when we look at uh, the GC and you, you point out uh, Kate here, you're right, there's only two Jumbo Visma at the very top of, uh, of that top 10. Uh, how, how far can they go? Is it too early for, for them to hold this, uh, uh, this jersey all the way? You sort of hinted this way. And, but what, how, what, what would be the ideal scenario for Primoz Roglic? Uh, I think, look, I think there's a big chance he'll lose it tonight. I think the stage lends itself to that and we'll, we'll obviously get into that a bit later in the show, but I think it'd be smart for him and Jumbo Visma now to lose the jersey. Um, that, look, that, he, he was always the plan A, he wasn't he? I mean, you know, I think we all knew that. And to me, there was only, it's, it's really only going to be about him and maybe set course as a plan B. But um, no, I think it'd be smart for him to lose the jersey, which I think they could very well do because it's a good day for a breakaway to survive and succeed because the following stage is a, the first summit finish. So I think they'd probably like to take a little bit of a backseat today and, and save the legs for, you know, what's ahead of them. And you mentioned as well, there's so much more from that, uh, that Grand Tour to, uh, to deliver. There's been something going on this year with those Grand Tours starting from abroad, the extra rest day. Does that change the pace of how they are raced? I mean, now they are used to it. It's the, the third one of the year, but uh, we tend to see and we tend to discuss every time uh, so far on those uh, Grand Tours that you know, the, the leader taking the jersey really early, can he, can he take it, then losing it again to try to conquer it again? Seems to be a bit of a pattern, Kate, here. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody transfers differently. And at the end of the season, sometimes, despite best laid plans, your body doesn't necessarily do what you expect it to. But certainly the really long transfers they have, some people just bounce back better. I mean, the person that I'm absolutely so impressed with so far is Mads Pedersen. He's been second three times in a row now. Uh, Maka, Keenan and I the other day were discussing um, our dislike for teams' time trials and their propensity to affect the GC overall. Now, Pedersen would be wearing the leader's jersey without that uh, team time trial, which would completely change that race dynamic again. Uh, and the other one that I really noticed in the top 10, and I have to wonder whether he didn't transfer that well, um, is Avenipool. Because if we're seriously looking at him going for the GC, I would expect that he would be really pushing um, for a stage victory on that kind of stage rather than just inside the top 10 uh, because there were quite a few names in front of him. And if he doesn't have the punch in a finale to really push them to the line, it makes me question, is his 
legs a bit bad after a long transfer and a hard day, or is he maybe just a little few percent off that uh, that leading pack? Yeah, well, we're going to find out, aren't we? And um, it's interesting because Mark Renshaw says, he says, you know, this is, he calls it his, possibly his last chance to prove himself as a GC rider and in the commentary last night. And Matty Keenan said, gee, he's only doing his second grand tour. And Mark said, and I think it's a fair comment, he said, yeah, but this young generation now, if you're not making it by the time you're 24 in a grand tour, and, and on a team like Quickstep Alpha Vinyl and with Patrick Lefebvre turning the screws constantly, he'll he'll be pushed down to be like a Paris-Nice rider or, you know, those one-week stage races. So I think he's feeling the pressure already here. Uh, I don't necessarily mean that he, he won't uh, deliver, but he certainly knows that, you know, everyone is watching him. And, look, we all know what the Belgian fans are like as well. Uh, they want Evenepoel to succeed, but they will scrutinise him big time if he doesn't as well. So there's a little bit of pressure in that corner, I think. Maka, do you think this um, this pressure you're talking about for, for Evenepoel, uh, would he feel it more now because it's the Vuelta and with what happened to the, the first Grand Tour he's tried? And, and let's face it, he wasn't great at his first Grand Tour. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think so. Look, it's just everything compounding what I just said. And, you know, even Lefebvre had a little bit of a side dig at... Your, your main man, Julian Alaphilippe, which, you know, in some ways we're not surprised um, by Lefebvre's comments. He says anything flippant if it's going to make it into the media. So I think, uh, look, for me, and then Venipol a couple of days ago on the sprint stage, I think it was Degenkolb, um, they sort of rubbed shoulders with about three kilometres to go and Venipol sort of put the hand out and I would have almost said it's a little bit, it was a bit condescending towards Degenkolb, you know, one of the older statesmen. So he's just feeling it. He's yeah. feeling the nervous energy. He's feeling a little bit of pressure. He wants to deliver. He was in that group yesterday. Um, but for me, it's all about the second and third week, as it generally is in a big grand tour. You know, you can be off the mark a little bit um, in the first week. Um, but you can, if you come good in the second and third week, well, the gaps are going to be a lot bigger. I think we all know that. Yeah, I agree. Okay, we had a, we had a winner yesterday. We talked about uh, Primoz Roglic. Uh, why don't we listen to him? Vic stage victory number 10 at La Vuelta. Is this a very important one? Wow, uh, yeah, crazy. Yes, of course. I mean, uh, yeah, super happy. Huh? You took everything you wanted, the time bonus, the sprint, and some gap over your arrivals? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, how to say it? It's really just the beginning of the Vuelta, I mean. Uh, but anyway, I always say, yes, uh, it's better to to have some seconds in front than behind. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Tell us, how did it happen in the last climb? Uh, ah, this one, the final. Yeah, kicker. Uh, uh, I mean, it was already a hard pace uh, whole day. Uh, was super fast, uh, super fast stage, huh? uh, and uh, yeah, in the final uh, was opportunity to to fight for the stage win, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I mean I had the leg, so I give it a go. Four days, four different leaders from Yumo Wisma. <laughs> Does Zepkus has a chance to get it tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I mean uh, that was the plan huh, that we change every every time the. The guy with the red jersey, so yeah, uh, today was my lucky day and uh, we see what uh, tomorrow brings. Voilà. Thank you.
uh, we see what uh, what brings the, the stage then, uh, then tonight. But uh, some very good points here, actually, from Jean-François Kinet. Two good points, I thought. One, uh, about Sepp Kuss. Has he got a chance today? And I'm going to throw this one at you, uh, Kate, as well. Uh, if you're Australian on this team, I mean, do you feel jibbed a little bit? Because everybody else is getting the red jersey, and so far the Aussies are not. I know. How about that? Like, literally all of them will get a go because that's the plan for the team to get a go over the red jersey. I don't know. I do think they should feel a bit ripped off. I mean, we know that uh, Rowan Dennis in particular is there absolutely to gain fitness for the World Championship. So I'm not sure that he'll be too fussed uh, in terms of he'll be really laser-focused uh, on what's going on. And Hamilton, you know, maybe he'll get an opportunity for a stage win to make it up at some point. They're in a pretty lucky position from a morale perspective that they can pass it around like that. And I think as he put that interview, that will carry them. Three weeks is, is a really long time. And I'm just really pleased to seem so relaxed. You know, I think I was a bit harsh what I said, Macca. I'll concede that, that uh, he can be a bit rubbish elsewhere and why is he so good at the World Cup. <laughs> I'll concede that that was a harsh point. But I do think that his body language at both races is so completely different. Um, he, it's like he's on a holiday in Spain and, and I think that's that's really cool. And I do actually think that they will have to beat him. I don't see him um, making a big mistake um, because he's been there, done that before. He knows how to win this race. But, um, yeah, I imagine the attacks are going to come pretty uh, thick and hard from the other riders. But if we can just uh, actually I'll throw this one to Micah uh, on, on this one and just rebounding on what you just said. Roglic is really cool at the, at the Vuelta and he's not at the Tour de France. Roglic is a bit like Pogacar is at the Tour de France. So if Roglic would have won already two Tour de France or three Tour de France, uh, do you think he would be a lot more relaxed in the roads of France? Is that what experience and, and, and that winning feeling gives you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course it does. I think, I think we all know that, doesn't it? If you, if you go back as the defending champion, you know, obviously you've got an air of confidence about you, but look, he, he does feel at home, doesn't he? And for the for the right reasons. Three Vuelters, he's going for a record. Uh, he's going to equal the record if he wins, but he's going for a record in terms of four in a row. No one at the Vuelta has ever done that before. Um, so it's a, it's a big call, but, you know, Spain is, as you know, Christoph, you're there on the ground. It's a very, it's very chilled out. The race itself is a lot more chilled out than the Tour de France, of course, and the Giro d'Italia. So, you know, he, he knows the protocol. He's, he's also now stepped up by the way. And when I say knows the protocol at the Vuelta, I think he's up to third in the rankings of the most red jerseys worn or the most leaders jerseys worn ever in the bike race, in the history of the event. He just passed, I think, Roberto Heras, the, the great Spaniard, uh, who's also won four Vuelta's. So he crosses the line. He knows where to go. He knows who to greet. He knows how to walk out onto the stage. He, everything is so familiar to him. And you could see him in that interview with Jean-Francois Quinet. He didn't give too much, but he had a big smile on his face. And we don't see that often. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's going to be a really interesting, I think, you know, next sort of week to 10 days to see where he's at and if we'll be having the same conversation about Roglic or if he will, in fact, be three or four minutes down. We don't know, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we mentioned uh, the Aussies on uh, the Yombo team. Let's listen from uh, Chris Harper. Yeah, top of today, mate. You really did a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do much work. I just sort of uh, helped a little bit in the final there. Um, yeah, we had Mike, obviously, uh, controlling 
all day with the Bora guys and then, then up to us last guys to sort of keep Primoz out of trouble in the final there and so he could go for the win. And when you keep a guy like Primoz out of trouble, uh, most of the time he gets a win for you. <laughs> well, that's what I really mean. That last 20k is when you really... Uh, and that's where it was at, at its toughest. Uh, and you're obviously feeling pretty good. Yeah, I think... Uh, I mean, I thought the whole day was really tough. It was super fast. The brake never got much much breathing room uh, with Bora riding as well and quick set for a little bit. So, yeah, I think actually coming into the last 20k, everyone was uh, feeling the legs a bit. So, yeah, as I said, it's just keeping Primoz out of trouble. And once we got, got, got to the stage where we knew we were going for the stage win, then Primoz was up for it and uh, up to us to get him there. It's not a bad team when... Uh... We're five days in, you've had the lead, now tomorrow will be five days in red uh, with a different person every day. Yeah, I think now, what are we, half the team in red, so uh, it's uh, yeah, a pretty nice way to start the race and yeah, yeah, I'll just keep going from here. Yeah, well, pretty uh, pretty nice way to start the race uh, and we talked about the, uh, where are the Oasis in red, but Chris Harper is pretty uh, philosophical about his Olmaca. Yeah, and, and look, he, he's talking down the role that he played yesterday, but he was sensational. And, yes, it was only in that last 20 or 30 kilometres, but I just thought Chris Harper was brilliant. And, you know, it's a credit to Jumbo Visma. We've already said it, but the fact that they chose him in this squad, he's leaving at the end of the year. He's going to Bike Exchange, Jaco. But they've given him a spot and, you know, I guess it shows that the, the amount of respect they have for Harper and likewise what he has for the team. And um, I think he, he put his best foot forward yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's uh, go around uh, some of the other Aussies uh, as well that performed uh, yesterday. Uh, let's start with uh, Luke Plapp. We, we love Luke Plapp. Uh, let's listen to him and then, uh, Kate, I get your uh, reaction on his performance yesterday. A good ride, man. I saw you uh, right up there most of the day. You, you were right up to your limit, I could see that. Well, it's a Saturday. Eh? Oh, <laughs> mate, that was... I kept asking the guys in the race, I was like, do I have bad legs today or is this pretty hard? And a lot of people said it was hard, but yeah, that was... That was a proper hard day. Um, yeah, we gave it a crack with Ethan. He got uh, super close. Unfortunately, I just didn't have the legs to be able to do much else. Um, but yeah, look, we got close and uh, we'll, we'll keep trying. Yeah. Well done, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. So that was uh, Luke Plapp there. Uh, Kate, I mean, Luke Plapp, we said it before on this podcast, he's having a stellar of a start uh, of, a, of a professional life and a stellar of a start in this Grand Tour here in Spain. Yeah, he's a cool banana, isn't he? Uh, and firstly, how good is it to see the Aussie jersey back in a Grand Tour? Absolutely looking resplendent in the green and gold. I think earlier Maka was um, mentioning the pressure on a Venipool. Plap uh, is a similar profile kind of rider who potentially could have a whole lot of pressure put on him. And the biggest difference I see is immediately Ineos have made him feel very at home and very, like, we're here and we're developing you, but absolutely no pressure on him at all. And you can tell that from the comments he makes, even that he'll publicly say, he's quite like, did I have really crappy legs? You know, he's not big upping himself or putting any pressure on himself either. Absolutely to his credit. And he will just get better and better and more confident, I think, and be a real uh, helper to that team, not just throughout this race, but then uh, more and more into the future because of the way they're looking after him. And uh, for what it's worth, I think that's how you should develop a younger rider, uh, not the kind of pressure that we're seeing some other teams. And that's all down to team management. Like Lefevre, it might kind of be a bit funny, Macca, how he's always got a snippy thing to say, but it actually yeah, not really, really damages he's the a young bag, riders. <laughs> yeah, like it's 
you would not want, um, as a parent, you would not want your young, talented child, um, son, since he won't support the women, um, to go to that mm. team because it is just pressure and it's like watching billions or something. Like it's a really unreal yeah, situation going on. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad to see Lucas Pipe so relaxed in such a big team because I think that uh, that'll suit him really well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we if we actually talk about the team itself, uh, look at this. Uh, that's five five of the riders in the top ten. Uh, I'm, I know what you're thinking, Maka, on this one. Yes. Really good to see Pavel Sivakov here uh, at that level. I know you're thinking this exactly, well, uh, but from yeah. that from that from that bunch, yeah, Pavel Sivakov with a nice French flag actually next to him. Uh, <laughs> but um, what 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 I mean, what and where can the danger come from uh, if it comes from Ineos? It won't come from Ethan Hayter. I think we know that um, he's going well at the moment, but he only just made it over that that climb yesterday and, and that's fine we don't expect him to ride general classification he's a, he's a young man developing a bit like Luke Platt uh look I'd love to see Tao Gagenhart um produce some you know good form that that he produced to win the Giro to tell you a few years ago when he beat Jai yeah Hill. that would be good yeah he had yeah. A, rough, a rough time after the after the Giro yeah he has had a rough time and you know you know we all know uh, here in this uh, in this three-way chat, that you do not win a grand tour by fluke. You don't fluke one. Um, but there's, I think, plenty of people out there questioning: was it a fluke or was it a bit? You know, did he get lucky because it was a COVID year? Not all the big stars were there, um, which is garbage, if you ask me. But I'd still love to just see Tara Gagenhart uh, produce the goods. I think he will. I think he will produce a, a good performance here. But it's just a matter of who they'll, you know, all basically work for in that third week. I think it'll sort itself out like it did at the Tour de France. It was Garen Thomas in the end. Uh, remember, they had three guys vying for sort of GC honours there from that squad. So I think they're actually playing it well. Um, there's no point, you know, getting a couple of your stars to, you know, lose time early on if, if they can potentially be really good in the third week. So I think they're riding a smart race. If I'm being the devil's advocate here, just a question here for this one. Uh, when we look at the, the, the team strategy, look at what's happened in the Giro. Bora, they had three leaders, so-called leaders, and they, they let the whole thing sorted out. At the Vuelta, uh, sorry, at the Tour de France, same thing with Jumbo Visma and uh, with, uh, with Ineos as well. And now we're seeing the same thing. Is this a new way for the team to strategize without having one strategy, but having two or three strategies, Kate? Yeah, I mean, I think you could look at it like that. And we also have to look at Rodriguez, who's only 21. And he uh, is sitting really well in the GC and not just because of the team's time trouble, but he had a great ride yesterday. Um, when the riders are that age, and we saw this um, with, of course, um, Pogaccia in the last few years, at that age, they can develop so very quickly. So when they are doing well, you always have to put a bit of an asterisk and think, Maybe the team knows something that we haven't seen yet. You know, maybe he's produced some incredible power numbers uh, and they expect a lot out of him. But what I do think Ineos have done really well in the past is in their own strategy and in their mind had one or two really clear riders that everything's going in for. But that doesn't even almost emerge publicly until the last week or the last couple of stages because they're so strong. And then these riders who have been doing uh, the lion's share of the work will start to lose really big chunks of time, but certainly not in the first week. And I think if we look down 
at who the Ineos riders are, that's probably more what we're looking at at this point. I don't think that they're a bit open slather. Um, I think just quietly there with you, Mac, are hoping that Gagan Hart, this is his moment to find his confidence again. Mm. And that's a really different thing too when you're dealing with riders who you know are so talented, but it's almost like they've lost their way a little bit um, because then the process for the team management is very, very different in trying to um, get them to perform. So I think we'd all like to see uh, some of the ones we kind of love over the years uh, step into the floor. And that's kind of something really cool about the Vuelta as well is we sit here with our wise minds, guys, and we give all these predictions. Um, but we also know that when you look at the profile, it may or it may not really look like that. And the finish at hills may or may not be as steep as it says, or it may be 10% steeper. Uh, so there's always, I feel like, a little bit of an element of surprise uh, because certainly a lot of the previews for yesterday, the, they weren't talking about that final hill being uh, quite as difficult as it was. So I feel like we might be in for a bit of a surprise with some profiles. It's even worse than uh, in Italy, Macca. I think Spain's like really upped their ante in the uh, profile stakes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Don't don't trust don't trust the road book. De definitely don't trust the road book. <laughs> Do you think ASO is making it so bad so that the to the front looks better? You know, look more. Well, that's it, isn't it? France for, look for, like a good yeah, place. Yeah, for everyone at home who, who don't know, the Tour de France now own the Vuelta Espana. So um, no, no, it's look, it's still a lot of predominantly Spanish staff on the ground. So um, you know, they're just tranquilo. That's what they are. Tranquilo. Relax. No yeah, they're like it's ten percent ish. That'll do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're not even taking any uh, any cliches. Don't don't hit us. He says BS. Uh, we're not even taking any cliches. That's actually an actual fact. Uh, let's talk about bike exchange and uh, the performance. I want to uh, listen to uh, Lawson Craddock first, and then we talk about the team and uh, what can we expect from the, the team so far. How are you, mate? It looked a really tough day. Oh, Very yeah, good riding that last few kilometers from you. Oh. No, it was definitely quick. Short, hard, hard day. Yeah. Pretty quick in the bunch, and then uh, unrelenting terrain. So, yeah, it feels great to be back in Spain. Yeah. It's loving it. Yeah. And uh, the tactics for the day was uh, just a normal day for you, or a, a, a lot of work. Um, yeah, I mean, we wanted to have Caden at the finish, uh, but that last climb, I guess, proved just uh, just a little bit too too hard. And then, you know, fast day, and then the heat. Definitely made for a difficult uh, re-entry to Spain, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I personally had good luck today and kind of uh, enjoyed bopping around at the front over the top of the last climb and then uh, trying to see what I could do in the sprint. Wasn't really the plan from the start, but yeah, the legs just kind of uh, ran out with about 150 meters to go and then uh, yeah, big explosion. I think there was probably left a big crater there on the final climb. That was uh, Lawson uh, Craydock, but Maka, I'd like to uh, expand this discussion about uh, bike exchange. Uh, we spoke to him or to them uh, a lot before uh, before the, the Vuelta started, and uh, Luke Durbridge told me that the, the the goal was really to go for stage win. Uh, is that what they have to do? They go day after day, day after day after stage win, and try every day. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, Yates is their GC man, and they'll absolutely support him. It's a two-pronged attack, really, in terms of you know. GC for Yates and probably the, the man who can deliver potentially, um, Caden Groves. But he's only got so many opportunities, as we know. And the Vuelta, you know, I think there's potentially six at the very most for sprinters, if you like. And one of those might have been eliminated being the one yesterday. 
So, but no, no, look, I think they're in a good position. Um, Yates did lose seven seconds yesterday. There was a split in that in that finale. So Roglic, you know, he's gaining seconds here, there and everywhere. He's 51 seconds now up on Simon Yates. So, you know, back to your point earlier, Kate, that Roglic won't falter. They'll have to, you know, be better than him. It's already proving that now, isn't it? it, it uh, to be a minute behind five days in, and you can sort of say, well, gee, I haven't really lost any time. You know, yeah, the team's time trial, but I'm riding in the same – I'm finishing in the same bunch as Roglic, and he's 51 seconds up on me. So that's where Roglic is so good. And this is how what he's done in the Vuelta uh, in the past. He's he's just taken seconds here and there in the first week. Suddenly he's built up a one-minute advantage before they've hit the big mountains. So uh, either way, Bike Exchange have got the job ahead of them. An interesting comment that they thought that it would be one for Groves, um, sort of back to what we mm. were talking about uh, with the profiles not necessarily reflecting the finish. Uh, and then you have to wonder if they really didn't anticipate the final climb being like that. Was Yates really not in a good position because he just didn't think uh, that that was how it was going to finish? I mean, who knows? But I guess they need to go back and kind of sharpen their minds a bit around that because if they are in there for stage wins and also just to protect uh, Yates in case and see where he gets. Uh, they, they will really need to make sure, like seven seconds, it does count. It really mm. does count because it, it might be really easy to lose seven seconds, but it's very, very hard to gain seven seconds. Uh, and it's kind of like an own fault, right? Roglic didn't gain seven seconds there. He lost it. Um, yeah. So every little mistake counts uh, in this kind of environment, but it's, they do only have two up there and anywhere in contention because Hamilton is sitting on the same time. Um, you know, could Hamilton take a step up, Macca? We've talked about how talented I'd love he is to for see so him. long. And, yeah. you know, I, I mean, will he be underestimated, do you think, if he does choose to go on the march in the climbs? Do you think that the other teams will really pay a lot of attention or will they just uh, kind of look at each other? I mean, perhaps there's an opportunity there. Yeah, it's certainly a chance for Hamilton uh, for a stage win. I'd love to see him get a stage. I think he's a tireless worker. He hasn't had the best of luck for a couple of years, just with illness and injury. So I think he, his time is now. He wants to shine. <laughs> so does every other bike rider. That's the problem in the peloton. But I'd love to see him uh, jag a stage win. Yeah, totally, uh, totally agree. Well, okay, let's look at uh, the stage happening uh, today, though, uh, in a few hours, all the way to uh, Bilbao. Uh, it's a bumpy stage. Uh, we saw yesterday, and I have to mention his name, I remember, <laughs> uh, by contract, Alaphilippe was quite an animator. Uh, is it a day where it can also be a bit like this, a bit of an animation from someone like him, or is it a bit too hard for someone like him? Yeah, today? you know what, Alaphilippe, Christophe, in his very best form, yes, 100%. I picked him uh, yesterday. He was one of my picks in the finale. But what it showed is he's still on his way back up and he's just lacking that race fitness. Um, he will need to be in a breakaway to win today. I think a break will win the day today. Um, but he'll need to be in it. He will not win it with the likes of Roglic and so on and so forth like we saw yesterday. So, But in a breakaway, Alaphilippe, yeah, definitely could, could win the stage. Well, yeah, Kate, sorry, uh, Christoph, are you okay? Uh, yeah, I, I know, know it's I'm good. Uh, it's, 
It's uh, you know this year I've learned to uh, to to have the ups and downs with Alaphilippe, uh, a bit like him. But uh, I still uh, believe he's going to be world champion on Australian soil. So uh, first, I'm still hoping for this one. <laughs> the, the yeah, first phase right is denial, Christoph. Second phase yeah. is acceptance. Yeah. Uh, I think third is you get angry. Um, yeah. I think at the moment you're yeah. in you're in denial, so that's okay. No, no, I mean I mean the I mean the angriness. So it's not going to be a rebound, and it's going to be world champion in Wollongong three yeah. times in a row. And I um and I reckon that stage four is probably apologising to everybody that you tortured through the denial stage. But you know we'll support you, Christoph, on the other end. <laughs> I think Mac is uh, right. By week three, Alaphilippe may be able to win some stages yeah. because yeah. he's either just riding into form because he hasn't been able to race much. Or maybe his body's not ready yet, but we will figure that out and figure it out pretty quickly uh, mm. and then be able to make our tips, um, I reckon, ahead of Wollongong for that. Um, this kind of course, look, it's 187K. There's technically five categorised climbs. We know that there will be a lot more lumps and bumps along the way uh, with that. Uh, i tell you who looked pretty good last night was Valverde. Uh, so I think he could be someone to watch today. Uh, bearing in mind that it does, I think there'll be a significant um, shattering of the field over especially that final climb, but then it does descend down. So even Mads Pedersen, um, if he can hang on over that climb, he's in such good form, he's such a good descender as well, he could be a bit of a sneaky pick. Yeah, and uh, Maka, I'm going to uh, let you just uh, talk for a sec about uh, what are your predictions for this stage. And I'm going to try to walk towards the finish line and finish this program straight on the finish line. Uh, but oh. as I walk, I'm going to put you full screen uh, and I hope the technology will be with me, Maka. <laughs> <laughs> I like your work. Let's be daring, shall we? Well, as you said, Kate, it's 187 kilometres, 2,800 metres of climbing, but it all comes in the back end as we saw from that profile, it finishes with that four kilometre climb at 8%. For me, it is a breakaway day. I do not yeah. see it coming down to a peloton or a small group like we saw uh, last night for the finish. It's going to be a breakaway. And Kate, I like Santiago Butrago. Uh, I like the little Colombian. I don't think they'll be too worried about him as a GC threat. So I think he'll get in the breakaway and I think he is the man to win the stage. Yeah, and I just want to throw out Fred Wright as well because I'm just mm. such a big fan of his. He's, like, really captured my attention. I love the way he races. He's only 23. He's so animated and positive, and um, I, I think that more and more uh, where he's given the opportunity, he will go, he will form breaks and go with everything that he possibly can. And I can't see Bahrain pulling back the ropes on that. So... No, um, you know, uh, that could be a good person to have in a break. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, they're both on the same team, aren't they? I think that's right. Yeah. They're on, yeah. Oh, yeah, they so, are, okay. actually. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay, I, so they're, gonna win, they're going to win the stage. One of them. <laughs> yeah, Bahrain to be victorious. <laughs> You're still here, Christoph. I am still here. And guess what? I'm not laying. I'm here. Finish line. Oh, 25 metres. <laughs> We've got the technology with us, go. and Beautiful. that's a bit of a live reporting from uh, trying to understand where my camera is going. <laughs> Here, oh. this is where this is what they're fighting for today, and you can see uh, we're only a few hours away, but they're still, Maka, you know, installing pretty much everything. 
Uh, this is what's happening here. Relax, relax, people. Yeah, the yeah. barriers are still getting put up. As you can see, there's a truck just on the yeah. finish, past the finish line. There, they'll move that with about two. The water, I mean, the water is, the water is getting <laughs> delivered. <laughs> oh, Do you think you'll get arrested oh, if you jump over the fence and take us through the finish line? Since I'm not wearing my uh, my accreditation with me, probably, you know. Yeah, and probably. I know you like me, Kate, yeah. but I'm not going to try this for you. I'm not going to try <laughs> no, to get arrested. Look, and, I don't um, know. And if you do try it, maybe don't also wear the SBS shirt. I mean, there's another. Yeah, that's wear. okay. <laughs> well, I, I, came, I came all black today, so maybe that's my disguise. Incognito. <laughs> well, yeah. You've passed this test, Christoph. What we'll do, we'll, we'll up the ante, I think, over the, the coming, you know, sort of week. We'll get you on the finish line, then we'll try and get you in the comms booth of the World Feed. Um, oh yeah, we'll just step Shall it up. Shall we try this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll try to start tomorrow because yeah. the start yeah. is also from Bilbao tomorrow, so we'll try to start. Anyway, I think that was quite yes. an entertaining podcast. Thank you for uh, for joining us today. Uh, thank you to everybody uh, back home. Thank you to you guys uh, and Maka. Uh, the stage, what time tonight? Do you uh, are you commentating yeah. this one tonight? I am. I'm on tonight. So 10:50. We are on the main channel SBS and of course on demand streaming. So 10:50. Jump on, peeps. As you've seen, it's going to be a good one. Yep, yeah, have a great call, Macker. I'm loving you guys in commentary. It's very entertaining. Thank you. Um, sending me off to all, sleep every fun, night. So uh, good on you. This was the uh, Zwift SBS uh, Cycling Podcast. Maybe I should bring my mic a bit closer to me. This was the Zwift SBS <laughs> Cycling Podcast. All the way, a bit chaotic today. On, uh, But this is live. This is the proof that we are a bit live. And, and funnily, it's actually more quiet that it is on the finish line than it is on the, in that cafe I was. So maybe there's a, there's a hint for me. Uh, thank you for joining in. And then uh, we'll see you all there tomorrow. Same place, same time. And in the meantime, enjoy the stage and the great commentary tonight on SBS. See you then. Thanks for listening to the SBS Falter Espana podcast with Zwift. After five weeks on the road at the tour and no riding, I'm seriously playing some fitness catch-up with Walter Inspiration. To help with my motivation, I've set myself a target of finding a team and getting involved with the Zwift Racing League. Round one starts on the 13th of September and goes to the 18th of October. One race per week for six weeks. Whether you're just starting out on your fitness journey or like me getting back into things, or you're a six watts per kilo monster, you'll find a level of racing to suit. So if you're up for the fun cycling challenge, dive in and start riding with a free seven day trial at Zwift.com and find your ZRL team or register if you're all ready to go by Sunday the 11th of September. Hopefully I'll see you on the start line soon. Ride on.